Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to bring you Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. For this episode, I will also be giving you my review of Wrestle Kingdom that happened this week, as well as AEW's Battle of the Belt, which happened immediately after AEW Rampage. Now, to start the show off, I want to talk about Monday Night Raw, since that was the first show of the week. Raw would have the Bloodline interrupting the beginning video, like the video package that they usually have at the beginning of every show that they have. The Bloodline would interrupt that, and they are attacking members around the ringside. They flip the commentary table over, and they're basically here to say that they're going to cause havoc off the message of Roman Reigns. Until Kevin Owens comes out on stage, Sammy will let Kevin Owens know that this is all because of him. Tonight is a hostile takeover, all because of Kevin Owens, because Kevin Owens defeated Roman Reigns and Sami Zayn last week on SmackDown. Kevin Owens would walk towards the ring, but Adam Pearce and security will stop Kevin Owens. Pearce would admit that he has let this crap go on for far enough. He's talking about the bloodline, basically thinking they can do whatever they want, and says that he wants the bloodline out of his ring and out of his arena. So Pierce would tell security to escort them out, but as soon as the security would get in the ring, Solo Sokoa would attack them. Kevin Owens would then run into the ring, and now you have the bloodline would just pack onto Kevin Owens and just start stomping them out. Adam Pierce would wave his hands for more people in the back to come out, and members of the Raw locker room would come out. They get in the ring, and they start beat up on the bloodline, so much so that the bloodline would retreat into the crowd. Adam Pierce would let the bloodline know that he is putting each member of the bloodline in a match tonight, and so the following matches were made as follows. Solo Sokoa will go against Elias in a Music City street fight, and the Street Profits and Kevin Owens will go against Sami Zayn and the Usos in a six-man tag. Now, after this, we get the first match of the night with the WWE Raw Women's Championship on the line, Bianca Belair going against Alexa Bliss. The match would end in a no contest when Alexa and Bianca Belair were outside of the ring, and as Alexa was in control, she would move over to the Women's Championship and tell Bianca that that championship belongs to her. And Alexa would then look into the crowd, and then she would see a guy wearing a Uncle Howdy mask, and you would just see her stare at the guy. Alexa then would snap back into focus, throw Bianca into the ring. Alexa would go to the top turnbuckle, and then she would look to hit Twisted Bliss, but before she does this, she see another person in an Uncle Howdy mask, and she would just stare at that guy. Alexa then would have to snap out of it, and Alexa would step down from the turnbuckle. That's when you would see Bray Wyatt's logo flash on the Titantron. Alexa would then start holding her head. Bray Wyatt's logo would then flash again. And then Alexa would turn basically into a mad woman when she would look at the referee and start pouncing on him and attacking him. Alexa would then get off the ref and then go over to Bianca and start pouncing on her and beating her up. You would see Alexa then throw Bianca outside of the ring, throw her into the ring post, then into the steel steps. Alexa then would DDT Bianca Belair onto the steps twice, then walk up the ramp. Now, after this, we would go to commercial. When we come back for commercial, they show what happened during the commercial break. Montez Ford would come out there to help his wife Bianca Belair to the back. And this would play into the Street Profits match with Kevin Owens against the Bloodline later in the night. Now, after this, we would have the Music City Street Fight where Elias would go against Sol Sokoa. Solo would win the match by pinfall by catching Elias coming off the top turnbuckle with a Samoan spike, then followed up by hitting a spinning Solo off the ring apron onto a piano that's standing outside of the ring, and then he would cover Elias for the win. 
to be honest with you, this street fight was amazing. You had just Solo and Elias just beating the dog piss out of each other. More Solo beating up Elias. I mean, there was a point in the match where Elias tried to get some offense on Solo, and he did. But, I mean, you saw a good 70% of this match Solo just beating the tar out of Elias. I'm just saying this match really benefited Solo Sokoa more than it did Elias. Elias, every time he's in these like street fights, he's always put his best foot forward. And Elias just seems like he's going to be a street fight type of guy. I mean, he can wrestle in the ring. His match with uh, Seth Rollins a couple of years ago at Money in the Bank proves it. But I don't know if anybody on the creative team or anybody backstage is going to give Elias that opportunity to ever like wrestle a good style match again the way that he's able to wrestle a street fight but I'm gonna say this right now I see them putting a lot of stock into Solo Sokoa and I like it against Solo reminds everybody of Umaga everybody tweets that out everybody can see it and I'm glad everybody sees it because again if you everybody can go back to Solo's run in NXT which it wasn't long like per se but it lasted longer than it needed to he never moved this way in NXT. He moved like the regular guy down there in NXT. But when he got to the main roster and they saddled him with the bloodline, I feel that somebody probably had to talk to Solo and say, hey, yo, we're going to put you with this and you're going to have to make this thing work for you. And Solo has been killing it, basically being the modern day Umaga. So I like what they're doing with Solo and I hope that they get to continue with this on into the future. Now, this is one up for the bloodline on Monday Night Raw. Now, the next match would continue on with the domination of the blind when the Usos and Sammy were going against the Street Profits and Kevin Owens. When Sammy and the Usos would get the win by pinfall, when towards the end of the match, the Street Profits and Kevin Owens were taking control of the match, Solo would come from the crowd and hit Angelo Dawkins with the Samoa Spike. Kevin Owens would run over and attack Solo. Jay Uso would superkick Kevin Owens, and you see Montez Ford and Sammy Zayn in the ring. Jimmy Uso would get on the ring apron to distract Montez which allowed Montez to hit Jimmy Uso, and Sammy would then hit Montez with a huluva kick to cover him for the win. Now, as I said earlier, Montez Ford uh, wasn't really focused in on this match. You could tell that his mind was going off to somewhere else, and commentary more Corey Graves was letting everybody know at home that Montez Ford's mind is really focused on his wife after she got beat up by Alexa Bliss earlier in the night. So Montez Ford head really wasn't in this, and more than likely probably next week on Monday Night Raw, they'll probably uh, go forward more with this as Bianca Belair and Alexa Bliss, their whole thing isn't done yet, and you can tell that Montez is probably going to be brought into the storyline also with Angelo Dawkins because Angelo wants to probably go after some tag team gold and Tez not having his mind right that's probably going to not cause some friction but probably going to lead to the Street Profits probably having some little bit of tension between each other until they get their mind back onto the winning path or at least until uh this Bianca Belair Alexa Bliss thing is coming to an end now, after the match, Jey Uso would throw Kevin Owens back into the ring, and then you would see the bloodline again pounce onto Kevin Owens. Solo Sokoa would leave the ring and grab a steel chair. Sammy would tell Solo to give it to him, which he does, but Sammy never gets to use the chair because Drew McIntyre and Sheamus would appear from the crowd and attack both members. Once they were done with both Sammy and Solo, they would get in the ring and they would attack the Usos and then they would make the Usos basically retreat. And this is basically to build up anticipation for their tag team match with the Usos on SmackDown. So this gives Drew and Sheamus some momentum going into that match. 
After this, we had Dexter Loomis going against Chad Gable, who had Otis in his corner. Dexter would win the match by pinfall by reversing a technical pin into his own for the win. After this, we had a handicap match of Damage Controls, Io Shirai, well, Io Sky, and Dakota Kai with Bailey in their corner going against Becky Lynch, which later in that match, it would turn into a tag team match when Mia Yim, who they're now going to refer her as Mi Chin, would run down to the ring and join Becky Lynch. So now, as this turns into a tag team match, Damage Control would win the match by pinfall thanks to some interference from Bailey. When Mia Yim would hit a head scissor takedown onto Dakota and cover her, Bailey would put Dakota's arm on the bottom rope. Becky would then run over to Bailey and attack Bailey. Mia would hit Dakota with eat defeat. Io would then hit Mia with a moonsault for the cover, so Damage Control still has one up on Becky Lynch. So this is going to continue Damage Control and Becky's whole situation. And the reason why this was a handicap match to even start off with was that Damage Control was out here. Bailey was talking. She was talking about how she got the win over Becky Lynch a couple weeks ago and how that's still bothering Becky. Becky will come out and saying how Bailey is out here gloating and peacocking, but she's the only person in her group without having any championship gold. So more talking would ensue, turn into a handicap match. That's the only reason why this match even came about. So this result here is basically going to continue on with Devin Control and Becky Lynch's whole rivalry here. And more than likely, it's going to conclude probably at the Royal Rumble. That's just my um, thought process into this. But only time will tell. Now we will go into the main event, United States Championship match, Seth Rollins going against Austin Theory. Theory would win the match by pinfall when Theory and Seth would battle in the ring. Theory would throw Seth into the ref and the ref would go down. Theory and Seth would still continue to battle and then you would see Seth hit Theory with a pedigree and then another referee would run down to the ring. Seth would make the pin, but Theory would kick out. Again, as they continue to fight, Theory would try to send Seth into this ref, but Seth would stop himself before hitting the referee, and as the referee is crouched down to protect himself, Theory would low blow Seth Rollins and then hit him with an A-town down, cover him to retain his United States Championship match. This was a solid match between Seth and Austin Theory. Uh, Austin Theory targeted Seth's leg because he knows that Seth has some leg problems in the past. He's uh, gotten surgery on one of his legs, so that was the target for Austin Theory in this matchup here. Seth, he had to rely on trying to uh, outwit the kid. But again, Theory is still United States champion here. And that tells you that Theory basically was just smarter than Seth on this night. So that's how Raw ends with Theory holding up the United States championship. So that is your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, off to NXT. First match of the night will be Apollo Crews going against Carmelo Hayes, who has Trick Williams in his corner. Melo would get the win by pinfall when Apollo would go for a standing moonsault, but Melo would move and Apollo would land on his knees, which Melo was targeting Apollo's leg as well in this match. The same thing the theory was doing to Seth Rollins on Monday night. Melo would hit Apollo with a jumping code breaker, then finish him off with nothing but net, which is a leg drop from the top turnbuckle to the back of Apollo Cruz's head for the win. Now, after the match, Melo and Trick were celebrating in the ring. Axiom would surprise them and jump off the top turnbuckle onto them with a crossbody. And as Melo and Trick would then roll out of the ring, Axiom would then hit them with a moonsault from the top rope 
onto the outside. Axiom will then grab Trick, throw him into the ring so their match can begin. So now we have Axiom going against Trick Williams, and Mello is in the corner of Trick. Axiom will get the win by pinfall when Trick will go for a cyclone kick on Axiom, but Axiom would forearm Trick in the face, dropping him, and then Axiom would hit Golden Ratio for the win. Now, after the match, you would see Trick grab Axiom's legs, and you see Carmelo get in the ring and forearm Axiom behind the head, and now you see Trick and Melo just beating up on Axiom until Apollo Crews are running into the ring and basically make Melo and Trick leave the ring and start going to the back. So this whole deal between all four of these men is not going to end here, and it's just one for each side right now. Melo has one up on Apollo, while Axiom has one up on Trick. So I don't know where this is going to go into next week's NXT, which is New Year's Evil. They'll probably have a backstage segment with Trick and Mello, which I think they should because Mello should always be a priority on NXT. But only time will tell with next week. Now, after this, we will have Dijak going against Stax with Tony D'Angelo in his corner. Dijak would get the win by pinfall by hitting Feast Your Eyes for the win. Now, after the match, Dijak will go for another Feast Your Eyes on Stax, but Tony D'Angelo will get in the ring and start attacking Dijak. To the point that Dijak would have to retreat and leave the ring, Tony would get a microphone and basically challenge Dijak to a match next week on New Year's Evil, and Dijak would accept. Now, later in the night, Wesley was backstage and he was doing an interview. He mentions how this whole thing between Dijak and Tony D'Angelo having a match next week, it intrigues him. So, he makes the announcement that he will be at ringside next week, for that match, and that the winner of that match will get a number one contenders NXT North American Championship match against him. So that's the direction that they're going with. Personally, again, I didn't think that they were going to go with the Dijak going against Tony D'Angelo situation. I thought that we were going to get at New Year's Evil, either Dijak going against Wes or the Triple Threat, and then we would get Either match, where if the Triple Threat didn't happen at New Year's Evil, we're going to get it at Vengeance Day. And if Dijak didn't happen at, uh, Dijak and West didn't happen at, uh, New Year's Evil, we're going to get that at Vengeance Day. So I still think that next week we're going to get Dijak and Tony having their brawl, having their situation. Somehow West is going to get himself, like, quasi involved, either because of stacks or because the old trope of, said one of the wrestlers throwing the other wrestler into somebody in commentary, i.e., for example, a Dijak throwing a Tony D'Angelo into West at commentary. West takes offense to this. He gets involved in the match. It goes to a disqualification. All three members are fighting. And then later in the weeks of NXT, it gets announced that at Vengeance Day, we're going to get a triple threat match for the North American Championship between Tony, Dijak, and Wesley. Maybe that might happen, maybe it won't. I'm hoping that it does, because again, I think that's basically where this whole thing is basically shifting to, a triple threat match for the North American Championship. But again, time will tell, and we have New Year's Evil to fit the bill and more than likely set the foundation blocks for that match to happen at Vengeance Day. So again, we'll have to wait till next week. After this, we will have Toxic Attraction of Gigi Dolan and JC Jane coming down to the ring. And they mentioned that they are still the most dominant stable in all of NXT's history. And that they want to leave 2022 in the past and go into the new future with one goal in mind. Taking down Roxanne Perez, who they deem responsible for trying to crumple their empire. 
Indy Hartwell will come out and say that she is tired of hearing about toxic attraction and that they should be left in the past and that it's time for new blood to take center stage. That's when Cora Jade will come out and start bad-mouthing. Nikita Lyons will come out and start bad-mouthing. Zoe Starks will come out and start bad-mouthing. Wendy Chu will come out and start bad-mouthing. Until Thea Hale, who's part of Chase U, will come out and she would just call for a female brawl and basically a brawl will commence in the ring. Members of the female NXT locker room will start coming out and they will just start getting in the ring and joining in on the brawl and you just see women just beating each other up in that ring to the point that Alba Fire and Isla Dawn will leave the ring and they start battling with each other through the crowd to outside of the arena. And then you will see Roxanne Perez get on the NXT perch and let the ladies know that next week there will be a 20 women battle royal and that the winner of that match will face her at Vengeance Day for the NXT Women's Championship. So we have that announcement and we have that match set for next week. Now, after that announcement was made, we would go back to a camera shot of Alba Fire and Isla Dawn fighting their way outside of the arena, back to inside of the arena, but backstage. Both ladies will start slamming each other into crates that are backstage. They will try to use steel pipes on each other. Um, at one point, you will see both Isla Dawn and Alba Fire fight on top of a crate. Alba Fire would punch Isla Dawn off the crate, and Isla would fall onto chairs. We didn't see the crash happen. We just hear the sound, and then we see a camera shot of Isla Dawn just laying on top of chairs, and then you start seeing referees go over to Isla Dawn and check on her. Alba Fire would get off the crate, grab Isla Dawn, put her inside of a wheelbarrow, and start wheeling her out in front of the crowd around ringside, dump her out, throw her into the ring, and now our New Year's Extreme Resolution match would officially start between both of the ladies. Alba Fire would win the match by pinfall when Alba would put Isla Dawn on a table and start climbing the top turnbuckle. Isla would look at Alba and just decide to lay there, just basically sacrifice herself. Alba would hit Isla Dawn with a swanton, but the table does not break. So, Alba would get up, grab Isla Dawn, hit her with a gory bomb, breaking the table, then throwing her into the ring, covering her for the win. Now, this match was straight. Majority of this match took place backstage, so when they got around ringside, they probably only, what, had 10 minutes to do what they had to do, but it still did enough. You saw them use steel chairs on each other. Uh, they, You saw at one point, you saw Aladon trying to break the hand of Alba Fire by putting it into a uh, toolbox, slamming the toolbox lid onto Alba's hand, and then try to get a hammer, smashing her hand with it, but Alba would move her hand out of the way. So these two ladies were putting in that work, and the main thing that's real curious to everybody was why did Islandon just lay there on the table and Alba Fire just basically do hit a swanton on her? That was the question mark for commentary. That's a question mark for people watching the product. I don't understand it yet. Probably next week they'll make mention of it or There'll probably be something going forward into this in the next couple of weeks because I don't think this Alba Fire Isla Dawn's rivalry is over yet. I just think that again, this was another building block for that rivalry. Do I know when it's going to end? No. But do I think that it's end off of that? No. I think there's going to be something more building up into it. That's just my personal thing into it. But again, I'm just a viewer and I can't wait to see what happens going into the future between both of these ladies. Now, after this, we will have Aura Mensa going against 
Javier Barnell, or better known as Big Body Javi. Oro Mensa would win the match by pinfall when Oro would throw Javier Barnell into the corner and then run over and hit him with a heel kick for the win. After this, we had Andre Chase with Duke Hudson and Thea Hale in his corner going against Drew Gulak, who had Hank Walker in his corner. Now, this match would happen because originally it was supposed to be Drew Gulak going against Charlie Dempsey, but Charlie Dempsey was medically unclear to wrestle tonight. So you saw earlier Drew Gulak messing around in the ring with Andre Chase students. Andre Chase would come over and basically start taking offense to Drew Gulak doing this. Drew Gulak told Andre, listen, I didn't mean to step on your toes or anything. I just wanted to basically help your students out. And I wanted to test them to see what Charlie Dempsey saw in them. And I can tell you, I can see that they're kind of soft. So Andre Chase takes offense to this. And that's the reason why we have this match here. Drew Gulak would win the match by submission when Drew would lock in the Gulak, which is a sit-down dragon sleeper, and Andre Chase would submit. Now, after the match, Drew Gulak would still hold on to the Gulak for a little bit more extra seconds, and then he would let go, and that's it. Now, as I'm looking at Drew Gulak competing in NXT, he's starting to show that he's more of a aggressive, like, maniac maniacal but like an ego maniacal style wrestler he doesn't like to be upstaged and that's the thing in this match with Andre Chase he didn't feel like Andre Chase is more like to his level of competition you can kind of sense that with him because whenever Andre Chase had Drew Gulak locked into a figure four leg lock and Drew Gulak got to the bottom ropes Drew Gulak hold on to the bottom ropes so that means that Andre Chase has to let go once Andre would let go, Andre would get up and just extend his hand out to Drew Gulak. Like, okay, good sportsmanship. But Gulak just basically just slapped Andre Chase right in the throat and just basically start pounding on Andre. So you can tell that Drew Gulak is starting to be more of a vicious, egomaniacal style of wrestler here. And this is going to play part into whatever he's going to be trying to lead and help Hank Walker with, quote unquote. Because after this, later in the night, you will see... Hank Walker trying to talk with Drew Gulak backstage, and he told him, listen, you kind of held on to that submission even after the match was done. What was that all about? Drew Gulak just looked at Hank Walker and just like slapped him on the arm and said, listen, you got to win at any means necessary. So again, this plays more into the egomaniacal competitor that Drew Gulak started to become. Then you would see Charlie Dempsey walk up to Drew and Hank Walker, and Drew asked him, I thought your arm was supposed to hurt. What's what's the deal? Where's your sling? You will see Charlie Dempsey look at Drew and then look at Hank Walker, and he tells Drew that medically cleared or not, next week I'm going to take down your student over here. And then you see Drew just smile at it, and he tells Charlie that, listen, next week Hank Walker is going to rip your arm out of your socket. Hank Walker has a confident yeah, but then he hears that, and then he's just like, ask Drew, what? And then you see Drew say to Hank, don't worry about that. Let's go and get yourself trained for next week, all right? So we have that match set for next week as well. And again, this is going to prove that, again, Drew Gulak is more likely going to try to make a new group of his own like technical submission wrestlers here. It might have Charlie Dempsey in it, and it might have Damon Kemp in it, because, again, we haven't seen Damon Kemp in some time, and I think Damon Kemp is going to play a part into this whole, like, big new stable that is going to be coming into NXT with Drew Gulak basically manning this group. At least that's what I'm hoping for. 
Now, after this, we have Kobe Kingston with Xavier Woods on commentary going against Joe Gacy, who has a schism in his corner. Kobe Kingston would win the match by pinfall when he has trouble in paradise on Joe Gacy for the win. Now, they would go backstage, and the New Day were confronted by Pretty Deadly. Pretty Deadly has been on a hunt for things that's on the New Day's list, because if they do, they get another, well, title shot against the New Day. And they just basically tell the New Day that they're tired of these cat and mouse games that the New Day has them going on, and they throw down the gauntlet. And they said that next week, we're going to be having a gauntlet match. We're going to be going against three tag teams, and if we beat those three tag teams, we are going to be your number one contenders for the NXT Tag Team Championships. The New Day agrees, so we have that match set for next week. Now, time for the main event, the Grayson Waller effect with Grayson Waller as host and Braun Breaker as his guest. So, when the whole thing is going down with Grayson Waller and Braun in the middle of the ring, Grayson Waller is trying to do anything he can to get underneath the skin of Braun Breaker. He calls Braun the new era version of Goldberg because he fell for the exact same trick that Goldberg did a couple years ago when Goldberg speared Bret Hart and Bret had the steel plate underneath his uh, jersey or whatever he was wearing at the time, the same way that Braun Breaker speared Grayson Waller two weeks ago and Grayson had the steel plate on his chest and that protected him. That didn't get underneath the skin of Braun Breaker. He still tried to throw some more jabs at Braun Breaker, and Braun still didn't break. As a matter of fact, Braun just basically destroyed it all and said, yeah, you're right, you got me, you got me there. So now, Grayson Waller is trying to figure out what type of game Braun is playing. Braun basically tells Grayson, listen, I know what you're trying to do, you wanted the best at it, you're trying to get underneath my skin, you're good at that. So let me just start off with you here. You're good at what you do. As a matter of fact, your whole thing's about being the viral guy, making yourself go viral, making things go viral. As a matter of fact, let me list off a couple things that you've done that made you go viral. He talks about Grayson Waller jumping off the cage at War Games. He talks about Grayson Waller hitting Johnny Gargano in the back with a steel chair. And he mentions Grayson Waller jumping off of a ladder at NXT Stand and Deliver. Braun tells Grayson, that's what you do. You make yourself viral and that's it. And that's the Grayson Waller effect. So, as Braun is about to leave the ring, Grayson Waller being upset at this, he calls Braun Breaker a rip-off version of his father gimmick, saying that Braun is basically ripping off his father's gimmick. Braun would turn around, walk up to Grayson. He would smile at Grayson and say, you know what? I love my father, so I don't care what you say. So, he then proceeds to try to walk away again. And now, Grayson Waller being more upset, he goes over to Braun and say, I don't think you heard what I said. You are a ripoff of your father's gimmick. And now Braun turns around, hits Grayson in the face. Uh, Braun would then lift up Grayson, hit him with a gorilla press power slam. And then as Grayson Waller would roll out of the ring, you see Braun Breaker grab Grayson's cell phone. And he says, looks like so he wants to go viral. I'll show him something that goes viral. And he runs and hits him with a Top Gun Hilo out of the ring onto Grayson Waller. And then he will stand up and just start barking like the Steiners would do. Then he grabs his NXT championship and holds it over Grayson Waller. So this could be what we see next week at New Year's Evil, Braun Breaker beating Grayson Waller to still retain the NXT championship. More likely, that's probably where we're going to get. I will be shocked if Grayson Waller beats uh, Braun Breaker next week. But again, I don't think that's going to happen, but we shall see. But with that, that is your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. 
Now, before I get into AEW Dynamite, I want to talk about New Japan's Wrestle Kingdom. Wrestle Kingdom is New Japan's version of their WWE's WrestleMania. This is their biggest show of the year, the show that everybody's been working towards to, and they have it on January the 4th every single year. So this is my first time legitimately watching Wrestle Kingdom from start to finish, and I got to admit, it was a nice, decent show. The fans got to actually be vocal for the past, what, going on three years since COVID happened, COVID happened in 2020, um, New Japan audience were not able to vocal, vocal meaning like cheer, boo, any of the participants, they only were allowed to clap. And that was something that really, like, I didn't really take too much into consideration with that until like the press conference the day before, where Will Ospreay got really emotional about that whenever he was talking to Kenny Omega and talking about how his mental uh, played a factor in those past two to three years whenever he couldn't just hear the people say anything. They had to clap and how he had to deal with the mental anguish of constantly going through COVID checkings from airport to airport doing the long drives while Kenny Omega only had to do three hours from uh, home in Florida to the AEW Dynamite tapings that happened in Daly's place. Um, this was a big moment for Wrestle Kingdom, a big moment for New Japan, and this was also their Antonio Inoki's uh, memorial show for the founder of New Japan. So I feel that everybody did a wonderful job at Wrestle Kingdom, but let me just get into the matches of what happened. To start off the show, we had the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Championships being defended. Catch 2-2, which are the champions TJP and Francesco Akira going against the challengers, the best of the Super Juniors tag team of Leo Rush and Yo. Catch 2-2 would get the win with TJP would pin Yo. Solid tag match to open up Wrestle Kingdom, but there was one big thing that happened. Um, within the first couple minutes of the match, Leo Rush would get his face literally busted open. I mean, he had a big old gash and blood start coming down. He This happened whenever Leo Rush would run out to TJP and Francesco, and TJP and Francesco would basically hit an alley-oop, which is TJP going for a flapjack and Francesco catching Leo Rush with an X-Factor onto the ramp. And Wrestle Kingdom ramps are really, really like expensive-style ramps because they have nothing but bulbs like these led style bulbs covering that whole ramp so when leo rush face hit the ramp you saw him like hold his face and it seemed that he cut his face because of the bulbs so leo rush was basically battling throughout this whole match with blood on his face but leo rush did put on a hell of a uh spectacular match with yo even with the blood coming down his face and i was more happy for leo rush to get this moment because Leo Rush has been going through a lot of things mentally with his own self and his own health. That for him to get this Wrestle Kingdom moment, it was a good feeling for Leo Rush. And for me, being a Leo Rush fan for multiple years and hearing the slander that people would just slander onto Leo Rush's name, it felt good seeing Leo get this moment. I just wish that he would have won the junior tag team titles. But maybe down the line he'll get that. And I also want to see more black champions in New Japan. Now, after this, we get the IWGP Women's Championship match of Kyrie, formerly known as Kyrie Sane in WWE, defending that championship against Tom Nakano. Kyrie would win the match by hitting the insane elbow on Nakano for the win. Now, this match was important to the Western public, Western meaning the Americans or people in the North American region, because 
it was rumors and speculation literally for an entire month about what would happen after the match that a certain someone would make their New Japan stardom debut here, and the rumors did come true. As soon as Kyrie would win the match, the lights would go out in Tokyo Dome, and a video entrance would start playing on the screen in the Tokyo Dome, and it's the debuting Mercedes Monet, formerly known as WWE Sasha Banks. Mercedes would walk down to the ring. She would extend her hand out to Kyrie. Kyrie would shake it. Then you see Mercedes hold on to the handshake and then get her up in a gory bomb, turn her around and try to hit a DDT. It didn't go like precisely the way that it was supposed to go, but everybody got the move that she was trying to do. Now, as she put Kyrie down, you would see Mercedes lift up the championship, then put it on Kyrie, go for a mic and say that she is now here in New Japan stardom and she's basically here to make the money. She's here to go after the championship, and she will be facing Kyrie at New Japan's next pay-per-view, which is Battle in the Valley, which is on February the 18th. So that match has been scheduled, and that's for the IWGP Women's Championship. Mercedes Monet here looked like a star. You can tell that she's carrying the WWE moniker, the WWE uh, character-esque of Sasha Banks into uh, New Japan stardom, her deal here. But you can tell that she's adding her own personal flair to it with the hairstyle changing with the gear being changed with the music being changed even with the name being changed but she still kind of kept the same style of nickname she called herself the blueprint the standard instead of the boss she's now known as the ceo of new japan stardom so now mercedes is a part of this new corporation well not new but she's part of this other wrestling industry over here in Japan, because now Japan is way different than America. They're more wrestling-based. They're not really caring much about the mic work, but that's going to change now because Mercedes does come from America culture where we talk about on the mic and then we get in the ring, but we we make the audience care more about you talking on the mic so you could be brought into the building. So that's what she's going to basically be trying to do now with this deal, at least in my opinion, what I think she's going to be doing. But her whole presentation here was off the charts. I liked it. I loved it. I even showed my uh, sister this because here's a little funny thing is I kind of knew that she was going to show up or at least I had some inkling because again, rumors went around and she was going to school with a Mercedes, well, Sasha Banks t-shirt on. And I asked her, who's that on your shirt? She says, Sasha Banks. So I said, okay, I want to show you something. So I showed her uh, Sasha Mercedes debut into New Japan at Wrestle Kingdom, and she was smiling. She was cheering. She was happy to see her there. And also she was saying, oh, her hair is different. She liked basically the presentation that uh, Mercedes did here. So that's one thing that grabs somebody's attention. Mercedes knows how to grab people's attention with the uh, attire, with her whole presentation here. I even showed it to my other sibling, my brother. He doesn't watch wrestling that much, but he knows exactly who she was. And she even said, oh, her hair is different. Okay, I like it. And he was just shocked because he knew about her leaving WWE, the whole walkout situation. He heard it from me. So now we know that she's back here. And now we all just wondering, is Naomi ever going to go back to WWE? And funny thing about this, Naomi and Bailey both were backstage at the Tokyo Dome when Mercedes made her debut in New Japan. And they even took a group photo 
it was Mercedes, Naomi, and Bailey with FTR taking a group photo, as well as the formerly known as Kalisto, who was uh, Samurai Del Sol on the Independence. They all took a group photo backstage at the Tokyo Dome. So that just tells you that there's a allegiance of friendship of wrestlers that want to see each other do good. And now, technically, with Bailey still being part of WWE contract, I'm pretty sure that got sent to WWE and everybody in WWE kind of knew that was going to happen. And she got the blessing to go there. Same thing with Naomi. She's still under contract. She still does what she wants. But she hasn't been in a wrestling ring since both her and uh, Mercedes did walk out of WWE. So it's all now in the air. What's Naomi going to do? But we'll have to wait and see what that finds out. But we do know Mercedes Monet is now in New Japan. And I'm glad for her because she looked extremely happy just being on that uh, stage. Now, after this, we had the tag team matchup of Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi going against FTR for the IWGP Tag Team Championships. Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi would beat FTR with their tag finish on DAX. So, Goto and Yoshihashi are now your new IWGP Tag Team Champions. Everybody kind of knew, at least on the American side, that was going to happen because FTR has been on this downward slump. They have lost every tag titles that they have held in 2022. They lost the... Um, Ring of Honor tag titles to the Briscoes. They lost the AAA tag team titles to Dragon Lee and Drillistico a week ago. And now they just lost these belts here. We all knew that was going to happen. So this wasn't a big shock to anybody, at least to my personal observation. When I looked at the um, Twitter, like people looking at it and people tweeting stuff out, it wasn't a shock. So again, everybody kind of knew this was going to happen. So congratulations to Goto and Yoshihashi. After this, we have the match of Zack Sabre Jr. going against Rinnan Rita for the IWGP, well, excuse me, the New Japan World Television Championship. Zack Sabre Jr. would beat Rinnan Rita by submission. Uh, after this, Zack Sabre Jr. was then met by Mikey Nichols and Shane Heist of TMDK, the Mighty Don't Kneel. Um, they gave Zack Sabre Jr. a t-shirt, and Zack Sabre Jr. is now part of the group. And this was also the group that had Jonah or better known now as WWE's uh, Bronson Reed. He was in that group before he had to leave and went back to WWE. So now with Bronson leaving, they had to find another guy. And Zack Sabre Jr. having some um, past relationships with Shane Hayes and Mikey Nichols from their time over there in wrestling, uh, pro wrestling Noah. That is the second, that's the second uh, wrestling company in Japan. Like New Japan's number one. Pro Wrestling Noah's number two, uh, their time over there in that organization. So now it makes perfect sense for Shane and Mikey to be aligned in allegiance with Zack Sabre Jr., especially since Suzuki Goon, the group that Zack Sabre Jr. was in, disbanded. So now you have Zack Sabre Jr. in that group, and it just, just seems right. You see all guys just having fun with that group now, so that's good. After this, we had a singles match for the Never Openweight Championship. Tamatanga going against the champion, Carl Anderson. Tamatanga would defeat Carl Anderson by pinfall when you hit Carl Anderson with the stun gun in the ring. Tama is now a two-time Never Openweight Champion, and this was a nice, good, like, closing of the chapter for Carl Anderson, at least for now. Uh, in his time in New Japan, he's going back to WWE. He's already in WWE, but now we just don't know if he will go back to New Japan, because we don't know if there's any business dealing with WWE or New Japan. Everybody can say what they want, but until uh, certain situations happen, we never truly know. But Tama Tonga is your new Neverweight Champion. 
After this, we had a six-man tag team matchup of Kaiji Muda, Roshi Tanahashi, and Shuta Umino going against Los Igornales de Japón's Tetsuya Naito, Sonata, and Bushi. Now, commentary would make like connections to Naito, Bushi, and Sonata having some past dealings with Muda because this is Muda's last match in New Japan. He's on his farewell tour. January the 1st, he went against uh, Shinsuke Nakamura in Pro Wrestling Noah, and Nakamura beat him there. Now, in this match here, you will see Muda, Tanahashi, and Shuta beat Los Igornales de Japón when Shota Umino would hit Bushi with uh, the Paradigm Shift. Paradigm Shift being the double underhook DDT, the same move that John Moxley uses. Um, Shuta Umino was the young boy of John Moxley, so now he adopted that move from John, and he beat Bushi here. And to be honest with you, Muda didn't do much in this match. I think he was still recovering from his match with uh, Shinsuke Nakamura like three days earlier, so that's the reason why he didn't do much in this, but he did hit his Shining Wizard, hit the patented Shining Wizard, so it was good to see that, and he got one final, like, cheers from the fans of New Japan here, so that was a great send-off for uh, Kaiji Muda here. Now, after this, we had the Fatal 4-Way for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. Uh, Hiromu Takahashi, Taichi Ishimori, the champion, El Desperado, and Master Wato, all four men. Uh, Hiromu Takahashi would win the match when he hit Master Wato with, uh, I believe, the Time Bomb version 2, and is basically... The Emerald Fusion, but he just crosses the legs of his uh, person that he lifts up for the move, and he just slams him on the mat. Um, great Fatal 4-Way match. Here's something that if you are going to watch New Japan, even in a Fatal 4-Way match, they still do countouts. Yes, Fatal 4-Way matches over here in America, you don't do countouts, you don't do uh, disqualifications. I don't even think you even do rope breaks here. It's basically anything goes for Fatal 4-Ways or even Triple Threats. But in New Japan, nope, you still get countouts. So that was something that I didn't really like um, expect. But I saw the counts happen. I was like, okay, that's different. But I enjoyed it. The Fatal 4-Way match was real enjoyable. I think people will enjoy that. But the next match was something that everybody around the world, especially people in AEW, were really uh, interested in. It was Kenny Omega going against Will Ospreay for the IWGP United States Championship. This has a lot of backstory to it. Um, Kenny Omega would beat Will Ospreay when he hit the Kamagoye, which is a uh, knee straight to the face to Will Ospreay, and then hit him with the one-winged angel for the win. So when Kenny Omega does this, you now see a dejected Will Ospreay just looking at Kenny Omega as Kenny is holding up the United States Championship. And you can see Kenny Omega just like talking something to Will Ospreay. Will Ospreay is just looking at Kenny. And this match was really, really brutal. You see them bringing the strikes. You see them just beating the absolute piss out of each other. This was really just Kenny and Will Ospreay just trying to show everybody, hey, listen, this is what we do. This is why we are two of the best wrestlers in the world literally right now. We don't care what promotion you are in, who you are, who you think you are. You're about to see one of the greatest matches so far in 2023. And personally, right now, everybody's saying this is one of their matches of the year's candidates. And I can't deny it. If you haven't seen this match, in which you guys should, I think Access TV is going to be like airing Wrestle Kingdom in the following weeks. And the first match that they're going to be airing is going to be this match. And I believe that's in what? A couple weeks' time. So if you don't have Access TV, try to get it so you can watch. This match, again, in a couple weeks' time, I will be trying to find you when the dates are going to be um, next week. But, again, this match was something that 
I believe anybody needs to see. If you don't have that much patience, I will say to you right now, go sign up for New Japan World. It's basically $9.99 in yen, but in American dollars, it's like $7 and something cents. Go and sign up to New Japan World and watch this match. I guarantee you will not be disappointed. I mean, they put on a clinic here and they told a story. And the long story short of the story for these two men is that Will Ospreay at Wrestle Kingdom four years ago, the last Wrestle Kingdom that Kenny went was in, and he was in the main event. And this is the last King, Wrestle Kingdom before Kenny went to AEW. Um, Will Ospreay was going against Kenny Omega's best friend, uh, Cody Ibushi, for the Never Overweight Championship. And in that match, Will Ospreay happened to knock out Kota Ibushi, like legitimately, like literally knock him out. So Kenny had some uh, harsh feelings towards Will Ospreay for years for that. And by holding in those hard feelings, you will see Kenny Omega basically just taunt Will Ospreay in 2022. You see Will Ospreay and Kenny Omega just start trading words with each other on Twitter and now just got to a point that they need to have the match and the match happened at Wrestle Kingdom here. Again, you need to see this match. I really, really implore you to go see it. Now after this, it's time for the main event for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. Kazuka Okada going against Jay White. Jay White will lose to Okada and Okada is now the new IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. This match could not follow uh in match quality with Kenny Omega and Will Ospreay, they couldn't follow it, and they know it, so they had to do what they're better at, and it's telling a story that people of the Japan culture can follow it. Now, if you're not of the Japan culture like myself, and you want to know more about said story of Okada and Jay White, the YouTube page that I usually go to for all my New Japan like reviews and uh, details that I probably missed I go to a guy called The Rant and Review. I've talked about him multiple times. Again, I'm going to do it again here. He's a guy that I've contacted with and I've had conversations with about things from time to time. And again, he knows a lot about New Japan. He watches New Japan a lot. And he can give you a uh, brief overview of the story of Okada and Jay White if you want to know more about that. So again, The Rant and Review if you want to get in contact with him that'd be great and if you just want to watch his videos you can go to youtube and do that as well but in the end okada would beat jay white here to become the iwgp world heavyweight champion and that's how new japan ends off so again the match highlight for wrestle kingdom was will osprey and kenny omega i don't think anybody was going to like disagree with that and the big like moment that everybody wanted to see was always kenny omega returning back to new japan but also Mercedes Monet making her debut in New Japan stardom here. So we got that in Wrestle Kingdom and just getting to see the people like chant and boo people at Wrestle Kingdom. It was a nice uh it was a nice thing to see. But with that, that's my Wrestle Kingdom uh, review. Now off to AEW Dynamite. Dynamite will open up with Ricky Starks going against Chris Jericho with 2.0 in his corner. Ricky would win the match by pinfall by hitting Chris Jericho with a spear. Now, after the match, the rest of the Jericho Appreciation Society would come down to the ring and attack Ricky Starks until Action Andretti would come down to the ring with a chair and start hitting all the men with the chair. Now, Anna J and Ty Conte would get in the ring. Anna would grab the chair away from Action Andretti, and then you see Ty hit Andretti with a low blow. Now, the Jericho Appreciation Society is in control, and 2.0 would go outside of the ring and set up a table outside of the ring. J 
Jake Hager would then grab Ricky Starks and powerbomb him through the table, and the Jericho Appreciation Society would stand tall. So this continues the rivalry of Jericho and his group going against Ricky Starks and Action Andretti. This will more than likely probably lead into next week, where I don't know what will happen. Probably Ricky and Andretti probably get some revenge on the Jericho group. That's at least where I think it might go next week, but time will tell. Now, after this, we have Hangman Page come down to the ring. Hangman is out here to discuss whether he is medically able to compete against John Moxley next week. Hangman would say that as of today, he still isn't medically cleared to compete. Hangman would say that if he got into a fight with John Moxley on Dynamite or Rampage, his condition would be pushed back week by week. That's what doctors keep on telling him. However, Hangman would say that he is going to get a brain scan, and next week he plans on knocking John Moxley's, and this is Hangman's words, not mine, dick in the dirt. So Hangman plans on basically just trying to make sure that his brain is right, and if his brain scan comes back okay, and he gets to clear from AEW doctors, next week it'll be him and Moxley. John Moxley will come out to the ring, get face-to-face with Hangman, and mention that he is sick and tired of everyone treating Hangman's injury as something traumatic. Moxley will say that there has been nobody in this business that has dealt with injuries and pain as much as him, and he is sick and tired of Hangman playing the victim. Hangman will retort and tell Moxley that he isn't upset that Moxley knocked him out. It's the fact that Moxley made a joke about it before he could even say anything. Hangman would tell Mox that he has been waiting for a month thinking about what Mox said to him. And he lets Moxley know that next week he has two ready in the chamber for him. So right now it's already scheduled for Moxley to go against Hangman next week on Dynamite. But again, we have to still wait on his brain scans to come back. So more than likely the match is still up in the air. Now after that, we had our tag team championship matchup of Jay Lethal and Sanjay Dutt going against the Acclaimed with Billy Guns in their corner. Now, the first time this match would end, it would end in the win column for Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal when mad referees were down there because they were trying to get Sodnam Singh to the back because Sodnam got interfered in the match. Sodnam was still disagreeing with the refs, and as this was going down, you would see Jeff Jarrett hit Anthony Bowens with the stroke. Jay Lethal would pin Bowens. Bowens would get his bottom foot onto the bottom rope. And as the referee was making the count and the referee doesn't see it, you see Sanjay Dutt like move Bowen's leg off the bottom rope and the referee makes the three. And now we have new tag team champions. But the senior referee, uh, Aubrey Edwards, she would come down to the ring, tell the referee what happened and they would have to restart the match. And in the end, the acclaim would win the match by pinfall when Jay had Anthony Bowen's rolled up and Jay had his feet on the rope. And you would see Max Caster push Jay's legs off the ropes and the momentum would carry Anthony Bones into a reverse pin and hold Jay down for the win. So the acclaim are still your AEW Tag Team Champions. Now, later in the night, it was announced that at Battle of the Belts, it will be the acclaim going against Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal for the Tag Team Championships in a Noah Holes Bard match. Now, after this, we have Brian Danielson going against Tony Nese with Josh Woods and Mark Sterling in his corner. Brian Danielson would win the match by submission when Tony would miss a knee strike and Brian would hit him with the Boseco knee. Now Brian would go for the old faithful. He would grab Tony Nese and start stomping him out, then lock Tony Nese in the regal stretch and Tony would pass out. Now after the match, Brian would get a mic and he would say that he's ready for another fight and he would call out MJF and the devil would come out. 
MJF will come out, but he will stand on the stage with his mic in his hand with the championship still wrapped around his waist, the AEW World Championship. MJF will start out by calling Brian Brain Dead Brian and decline Brian's challenge of a match. MJF would make it clear that he doesn't have to wrestle because he doesn't care about the fans and he receives a check no matter what. MJF would then say that Brian Danielson looks like a goat. He said that his mother and a goat probably made love and that's how Brian came out. Brian would hurl jokes back at MGF saying that MGF's mother probably slept with people in the arena that they're in right now. His mother probably slept with a whole lot of people and now you start hearing the fans just start chanting uh, something towards MGF about his mother and MGF starts getting pissed off. Now MGF would tell Brian that he spoke with Tony Khan and Tony told him that if Brian continues to wrestle from now to February 8th and wins his matches, he will become the next number one contender. MGF will lay out the scenario that if Brian does so, that he will get his match with MGF at Revolution, no questions asked. Now Brian would tell MGF that, you know what, I don't want to do that. And MGF would get pissed off because nobody's ever really denied MGF of his whole little uh, running of the gambits here. He's always made every opponent that wanted to get in contact with him or just have a match with him always run the gambit. He did that with Cody. He did that with Jericho. He even did it with Punk. He did it with, uh, he even tried to do it with Wardlow. No, he did do it with Wardlow. I mean, he did it with everyone he's basically had a big major rivalry with, but Brian was the first one to ever shut him down. Now, Brian would say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'll wrestle when I want, and I'll just make my way to be number one contender anyway, and then I'll just get my match with you anyway. Now, MJF would say, it's either my way or the highway. Tony doesn't own this company. The EVPs don't tell me what to do. I'm the only person that tells people what to do, and either it's my way or the highway. Brian would say, no, but he would say this, but I'm going to humor you. Let's say I do all that. If I do that and I get my match with you, I want to be able to name the stipulation for our match at Revolution. MGF would get cocky and he says, you know what? Fine. You can pick any match you want. What? Let me guess. You're going to pick a match to have me cheat in front of the ref? Yeah, you're so great. But he would be dead wrong. Brian will let MGF know that when he wins those matches and he gets his match with MGF, he's going to have a one hour Ironman match. He's going to make MGF sweat and he is going to expose MGF for not being as great in the ring as he thinks he is and say that MGF has no endurance and he can't hang with the wrestlers that constantly wrestle week by week. And that's the reason why MGF doesn't wrestle week by week because he's a fraud. He's hiding behind people. So MGF would angrily agree to this. So the challenge begins. Brian's first challenge will be Kanosuke Takeshita next week on AEW. Now, after this, we have Swerve Strickland with Mogul's Affiliates going against AR Fox. Swerve would win the match by pinfall thanks to interference from Mogul Affiliates when the big tattoo guy would pull out a chain as Fox and Swerve were on the top turnbuckle. The ref would look at him and make sure he doesn't do anything with it. This would allow Parker Boudreaux to hand Swerve an unknown object and Swerve would use it to mess with the eyes of Fox. Swerve would then disregard that object and then put Fox on his shoulders and hit a Death Valley driver off the turnbuckle onto the ring apron. Swerve would then put Fox in the ring and then finish him off with a Swerve Stomp for the win. Now, I like the presentation of Swerve here. Again, he is building up 
him and his mogul affiliates here, him, Parker, and the tattoo guy. Again, I, the name is constantly uh, avoiding my brain right now, so I'm just waiting for them to give him a wrestling name at the moment. But Swerve is here to basically showcase himself, and the other two guys are basically just here to be his muscle, and I'm cool with that because I like this presentation of Swerve. Now, after this, we will have the guns come out here to the middle of the ring. And the guns are out here to give FTR a memorial. The guns are basically out here just basically trying to poke fun at FTR. They mentioned how that at the end of 2022, when FTR lost to them, they had been on a downward slide, losing every championship that they had. They start listing that the FTR lost the AAA tag titles, the IWGP tag team championships, and the Ring of Honor tag team championships. And then the guns have the fans say, can they join them in a moment of silence? Now, as soon as the moment of silence begins, FTR's music would hit. And now you have the fans like looking at the stage to see if FTR is going to come out. You see the guns looking at the stage like in shock. And then they just start smiling and then they have the music get cut off. Because again, FTR was at Wrestle Kingdom. It's going to take them a long time to fly back from Japan to uh, Seattle for them to make back the show. Because that's just how the air works. And they never make it back if they weren't even scheduled here. So... That's that. The guns will basically make a fool out of everybody here. The guns will make the statement that FTR can wrestle for whatever company they want, but they will never wrestle for AEW again, and that their legacy has been killed by the guns. So again, we're on the rise of the guns here in 2023, and I'm hoping that's the trajectory that we go with the guns, because again, I believe that the guns, the acclaimed, top flight, and private party, even though Mark Quinn is out with injury at the moment, or the tag teams of the future for AEW, especially in 2023. So with the guns to get this type of TV time, it's good for them. And I'm hoping that we're on this continued path for the guns in 2023 here. Now, after this, we've had Jay Cargill and Red Velvet with Layla Gray in their corner going against Kiara Hogan and Sky Blue. Jade would get the win for her team by pinfall when she would hit Kiara Hogan with a pump kick. For the win, after Red would walk out on Jade towards the end of the match when Jade told Red to slap Kiara Hogan, but she doesn't. So, at Battle of the Belts, Jay Cargo will go against Sky Blue for the TBS Championship, and again, this is still building the uh, problems between Jay Cargo and Rev Velvet, leading probably to Jade and Rev Velvet probably having a match down the line, probably soon, and again, it just probably just revert back to their first match that they had the first time. Jay Cargo came into AEW as a rivalry for uh, Red Velvet, and we're probably going to run that back here, and more than likely, Jay is probably still going to be with Layla Gray unless Layla like turns her back on Jade Cargill as well. I still think Layla Gray should be the woman to take out uh Jade for the TBS championship like if they want to do that, but I'm not mad if they have Layla Gray turn on Jade and then it'll be Red Velvet because it has to be someone that was in the baddies to do that to Jade to take away something that she holds near and dear to her the TBS championship and her streak. It has to be one of the baddies, at least in my opinion. So if it could be Red or Layla Gray, I'll be cool with it. Now it's time for the main event for the TNT Championship. It is champion Samoa Joe going against challenger Darby Allen. Darby would win the match by a pinfall by pushing Samoa Joe into an exposed turnbuckle that Joe exposed earlier in the match. And then you see Darby hit Joe with the code red. They followed up with two coffin drops for the win. And Darby Allen is your new TNT Championship. Darby did this in his hometown of Seattle, Washington. Uh, 
you know how this match goes. Samoa Joe beats the piss out of Darby Allen. Darby Allen takes all the bumps. He, I mean, him and Joe, at the beginning of the match, let me say it like this. Before the match began, Darby would get the better of Joe by hitting him with a uh, skateboard multiple times in the stomach, in the back, jumping off the ramp onto Samoa Joe's back with the skateboard, then pulling a ladder out, climbing the ladder, hitting a swanton onto a standing Samoa Joe on the stage. But when the match actually began, Samoa Joe started putting the beating on Darby Allen, and it just basically was that one mistake of Samoa Joe exposing the turnbuckle and Darby pushing him into it that led to Samoa Joe's demise. So I probably see them running this match back, and that will be a good match when they do do it. But Darby Allen is their new TNT champion, and that is your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now off to Impact Wrestling. They were air a tribute to Don West. Uh, you had wrestlers in the Impact roster and former wrestlers that were on the Impact roster talk about how great Don West was, how he on commentary added to their matches, and how much of a great man he was. Um, Don West passed away last Friday, so Impact couldn't air no tribute to him. Um, so they did it this week, and it was a great fitting tribute to Don West because he added so much on commentary, and he added so much literally to everyone's matches that he did commentate in early stages of TNA, Impact, whatever you want to call it, to people's careers in the matches that you can watch now on YouTube. He was just so uh, boisterous on commentaries that you couldn't wait just to hear him and Mike Tanay just be on commentary every week on Impact. So for them to do that in the remembrance of Don West, that was a great thing to see as a fan. Now, for the first match to happen on Impact, it was Masha Slamovich going against Taylor Wilde with Deanna Perrazzo on commentary. Taylor Wilde would win the match by pinfall when Masha was in control of the match, but looked at Deanna Perrazzo and started trash-talking her. Uh, Masha would then get her focus back on Taylor. Taylor would get Masha in a cradle pin for the win. And this basically caught Masha by surprise. Now, after the match, Masha would go over to the ring announcer and grab him by the collar because she's frustrated and angry. A security guard would grab Masha by the shoulder. Masha would hit the security with a spinning backhand and then hit him with a snow plow. So this is basically showing you that Masha Slamovich is still that uh, monster, that killer that she has been ever since she entered Impact Wrestling. This is basically what this is trying to demonstrate here. Now, after this, we have Black Tarus with Crazy Steve in his corner going against a debuting Anthony Green. Black Tarus would win the match by pinfall when he would hit Destination Hellhole on Green for the win. Anthony Green put up a nice fight with Black Tarus. This is his debut at Impact, but Black Tarus, who is going to be going against uh, Trey Miguel soon for the X Division Championship, this is just to build and give him some momentum going into. His master Trey Miguel at Hard to Kill next week. So this basically was a tune-up for Black Tarus. Now after the match, as Green was getting held to the back, Trey Miguel would attack Green from behind with the spray paint can and then tag Green with said spray paint can and then lift up the X Division Championship, showing it off to Black Tarus. So again, we're building up to that matchup with Hard to Kill. Now after this, we had Ernest R. Anthony going against Jonathan Gresham, and Jonathan Gresham would win this match by pinfall when he would lock Ernest in a crazy-looking submission, then turn Ernest over for a pin as he was still in that hold. Now, Jonathan Gresham, if you haven't seen him, he's a submission guy, he's a technical guy, and that's all you need to know. I would like to see Jonathan Gresham, this version, going against a 
newer version of Zack Sabre Jr., the version that we have now, technical versus technical, now with TNA or Impact having that uh, dealing that they have with New Japan, we could probably make that deal happen. I would love to see it, hopefully sooner rather than later. Now, after this, Moose will come down to the ring to talk about Joe Henry and their upcoming match at Hard to Kill. Moose says that Joe hasn't been through adversity since he's got in this company. All he's been doing is smiling and laughing, while Moose has faced adversity since being an impact. First, he had to be a hero for the people out there in the crowd. Then he had to do unthinkable things to become the villain. Then he had to become a scumbag to finally become a world champion in that company. Moose would say that he isn't waiting for hard to kill, and the only thing he has to do is say his name. That's the phrase that people had to say for Joe Henry to come out, and Joe Henry will come out. Joe will say that there is nothing more dangerous than an angry Moose. Joe will say that this isn't the real Moose that we see. He mentions that he's been trying to bring the real Moose out all this time, and he's made a video for everyone to see who the real Moose is. So Joe will have the video play, and it's basically a spoof of his own music and he just switched lyrics over to dancing moose and you just basically see moose dancing in the music video is basically past clips of moose in former matches or in other uh situations just basically dancing to make moose look like a goofball here now after the video plays moose will tell joe that he believes he believes that at hard to kill he's going to stick his boot up joe henry's butt and moose would tell production to play his music but instead of playing Moose's music, they will play Dancing Moose again. And this would just basically upset Moose more and more. Again, this is more to make Moose like a joke to Joe Henry. And this is to add on to uh, Moose wanted to basically try to get at Joe Henry at Hard to Kill. Now, after this, we have Matt Cardona with Brian Myers in his corner going against Chris Saban. Saban would win the match by pinfall when Chris Saban would hit the Insiguri, then a cradle shock on Matt Cardona for the win. Now, after this, we have Bully Ray coming out, and he will call out Josh Alexander. But instead of Josh coming out, we have Scott Demore, and Scott will tell Bully that he knows full well that Josh Alexander isn't here because Scott ordered both men, both Bully and Josh, to stay at home until their match at Hard to Kill, but Josh was apparently the only one with brains that wanted to listen. Scott would then tell the story of him receiving a phone call from Bully on wanting to come back into Impact because he has changed. Scott would give Bully the opportunity because he believes that people can change, and he would talk about his own personal change that he made 11 years ago, leading to Impact giving him a call five years ago because now Scott Demore has this new chance to change for himself. Now, this is the reason why Scott Demore gave Bully his opportunity, but it seems that Bully hasn't changed. Scott would then start throwing shots to Bully about the people that Bully has alienated out of his life. Like the people like Devon and Tommy Dreamer. Bully would then retort and tell Scott that he used Scott like he used everyone else. Scott Demore is a sucker. Now both men would try to overtalk each other, leading to both men slapping the mics out of each other's hands. Bully would start telling Scott that he knows he wants to take a shot at him and tell Scott to take a shot. Hit me. Hit me. Scott would eventually hit Bully. This will send both John Schuyler and Jason Hotch down to the ring to hold Scott Demore. Bully would kick Scott in the gut and then hit him with a power driver. Bully would then tell his flunkies to go get a table, which they do. They then get in the ring with the table, place the table up. They put Scott Demore on Bully's shoulder 
and Bully would then powerbomb Scott right through the table. Bully would then grab a microphone and he would ask Scott Demore, does he know who he is? He is the next Impact World Champion. And that's how Impact Wrestling ends with Bully Ray standing on top of Scott Demore. And that is your Impact Wrestling, Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're off to SmackDown. SmackDown will open up with the Bloodline wrecking shop just like they did on Monday Night Raw. But this time, instead of it just being the Uso, Solo, and Sami Zayn, this time Roman Reigns will come out. Roman would not help in the, well, wreckage, but Roman would get in the ring and he would be surrounded by the Bloodline. Roman would say that he is giving the floor to Sami Zayn. And Sammy would start by saying that they are sending a message to everyone in 2023 that this year belongs to the bloodline. Roman would agree with that, but he says that he's not really interested in talking about that. He's interested in talking about what happened last week when they lost to Kevin Owens and John Cena. And Roman would make it perfectly known that he did not lose. His shoulders were not on the mat getting pinned. It was Sami Zayn. So, Roman would start pointing the finger at Sammy for losing last week, and Roman would try to understand why Sammy called his shot and he didn't deliver. The only person that can call their shot in this group is Roman Reigns, because when he does so, he always delivers. So, you would start seeing Roman Reigns start getting real paranoid, and he would start asking Sami Zayn a bunch of questions. You want, you want to be the tribal chief? That's what I don't understand. Is why are you doing things like me? Are you trying to be like me? Do you want to do what I do? Do you think you can do things better than me? That, that's what I just, I, no, no, no. Think about it, guys. In my position, at the very top, you have to always be concerned and think about these things. You have to always keep eyes in the back of your head. And I just have to, why? Why, why are you doing what the tribal chief does? Why do you think you can do it? And that's, do you want to be me? Do you want to be the tribal chief? Do you think you're me? Do you think you're me? Do you think you're me? Do you want to be me? Do you want to be the tribal chief? Huh? Do you want to run the bloodline? Now, as you can hear from this, Roman is more upset. And as Roman gets more and more upset, he starts moving closer and closer to Sammy. Sammy starts backing towards the turnbuckles into the corner. And as Roman gets closer to him, out walks out Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens will walk out. He's on the stage. The bloodline will look over at Kevin Owens and Kevin Owens will tell Roman that he needs to shift his anger towards him because he's not angry at Sammy. He's angry at Kevin Owens because Kevin Owens is Roman's problem. And that if he wants to handle this problem, then we can meet at the Royal Rumble for the Undisputed Championships. Roman would say, you know what? You got your match. I don't care. Fine. I just want you gone. I want you to leave forever. Kevin Owens would tell Roman, listen, I'm going to leave, but I'm not going to leave forever. I'll see you at the Royal Rumble. And then he looks at Sammy and tells Sammy, I'll see you, Sammy, when you get your balls out of Roman's pockets. So Kevin Owens will leave. This will end the segment. And then you will see just Roman Reigns just like tell Paul to come here. Paul looks scared to roll over to Roman, but he still does. And you see Roman just tell something to Paul. You see Jimmy and Jay walk over to Sammy, making sure he's all right. And this just tells you the camaraderie that Jimmy and Jay have for Sammy, even though they couldn't help him at that particular moment, they still have some type of allegiance towards Sammy, even though Roman is their head of the table. Now, later in the night, you will see Sammy try to like get in the locker room of the bloodline. He would knock on the door as soon as he opens up the door. Paul Heyman will come out. He would tell Sammy that right now is not the time because Sammy's trying to talk to Roman and apologize to him. 
Paul tells him it's not the time for this. The Usos would walk past Sammy, go into the door, and Sammy's just basically left out at this particular moment of the bloodline. Now, after this, we get our first match of the night. It will be Kofi Kingston with Xavier Woods in his corner going against Santos Escobar, who has Legado del Fantasma in his corner. Santos would win the match by pinfall thanks to interference from Del Fantasma when Toro Cruz would get on the ring apron and distract the referee, while Joaquin Wilde would grab the lead Kofi Kingston. Xavier would try to stop Wilde, but Selena Vega would get in Xavier's way. Kofi would kick Wilde off of him, and when Kofi focuses attention back on Santos, Kofi would eat a super kick, and then Santos would deliver a phantom driver for the win. Now, after this, we get a mixed tag team match of Karrion Cross and Scarlett going against Mad Cat Moss and Emma. Cross and Scarlett would get the win by submission when Cross would hit the cross hammer, which is a running forearm to behind the head of Mad Cat Moss, and then lock him in the cross jacket for the win. Now, after the match, you will see Cross and Scarlett put a Rey Mysterio mask on Mad Cap, and Cross will look into the camera and say that he knows Ray is watching and that his time is coming. Tick tock. So Cross is still have his eyes set on Rey Mysterio. This thing with Madcap was just something to just delay the time and delay the inevitable for whenever Cross does finally get his hands on Rey Mysterio here. Also, this was Scarlett's first time in WWE like wrestling, and she did a good job for what she did do. I don't think we're going to see her wrestle a lot on the main roster or even a lot in her time in WWE. Things could change. They might want to put her in a wrestling role maybe. But I see her more like filling out the manager role for Karrion Cross here. Now, after this, we would get Charlotte Flair coming out to the ring. Charlotte's in her gear. Charlotte would get a thank you, Charlotte chant for taking the SmackDown Women's Championship off of Ronda Rousey last week because the fans online and probably the fans were in the arena were tired of seeing Ronda Rousey on their screen. So she got that thank you chant. Charlotte would admit that she has missed being here for the last eight months. Charlotte would say whether you love to hate her or you hate to love her, you can never say that Charlotte is complacent. She is all about passion, consistency, and dedication to what she does in the ring because that is what it takes to be a champion. That's what a champion is all about. Charlotte would then be interrupted by Sonya Deville. Sonya Deville would question Charlotte's legitimacy of beating Ronda Rousey last week because Ronda was already halfway beaten after her match with Raquel Rodriguez last week. When Charlotte faced her, Sonya would then throw out a challenge for Charlotte to face her for the SmackDown Women's Championship tonight, and Charlotte would accept. So they would have their match, and Charlotte would win the match by submission by locking in the figure eight, and Sonya would tap out. Now, after this, we would have a Royal Rumble qualifying matchup between Ricochet and Top Dollar, which Ashanti Diodonis and B-Fab in Top Dollar's corner. This match happens only because of a botch that well, Top Dollar had a couple weeks ago when he tried to hit a Top Gun Hilo, which is basically him flying out of the ring over the top ropes, but he failed at that. And for weeks, about two weeks now, people online and even people backstage have been clowning him. Even Michael Cole and Wade Barrett got in on the jokes last week and this week. So that's the reason why Ricochet and Top Dollar are having this match right here. Ricochet would win the match by pinfall by hitting a running slice of bread on top dollar and then going to the top turnbuckle and hitting a shooting star press for the win. Now, after the match, top dollar will be looked at by BFAB and Ashanti the Adonis as Ricochet celebrates in the corner. Top dollar would get up and he walks over to Ricochet and extends his hand out. Ricochet would ask top dollar, is everything good between them? Dollar would say, yep. 
I have respect for you. So Ricochet would shake his hand, and then Dollar would raise Ricochet's hand up in the air. This was all a setup because Ashanti would kick Ricochet in the face, and then you see Top Dollar just start pounding on Ricochet. Dollar will lift him up, and you will see Ashanti Diodonis and BFAB kick Ricochet in the face, and then you will see just Hit Row just start beating up on Ricochet until Braun Strowman would come out. Braun Strowman would run down to the ring, and then you see Hit Row leave the ring because now Braun Strowman has an allegiance with Ricochet that has been established for these past few weeks now. So, more than likely next week, during Braun Strowman's match with Imperium, or better yet, his Intercontinental Championship match with uh, Gunther next week, I expect probably Top Dollar to come out there to interfere in that and stick his nose in Braun's business the same way Braun stuck his nose in his business right here. That's just my uh, thought process of what I think could happen. Now, off to the main event, the Undisputed Tag Team Championship match, Sheamus and Drew McIntyre going against the Usos with Solzuko in his corner. Now, before I get to the match, when you saw the Usos and Solo leave the Bloodline dressing room, Roman Reigns was in his chair with Paul Heyman, and Roman would tell Paul to get Sami Zayn. You would see Paul call up on Sami Zayn on his phone, and Sami would walk to the Bloodline's locker room, and he would get in the locker room with Roman Reigns. Sami would start off by apologizing to Roman completely, wholeheartedly by saying, listen, if I offended you in any way, I am sorry. I'm not trying to be you. I'm not trying to be the head of the table. Everybody respects you. Everybody knows you're the head of the table. We all acknowledge you as a tribal chief. And you would see Roman just sit up in his chair and tell Sammy, I don't accept your apology. And then Roman will hit a swerve of his own by saying, you know what? I don't accept your apology because nobody deserves to be spoken like that. I shouldn't have shouted at you. I shouldn't have did any of that stuff to you in front of the people like that. So Roman essentially just basically apologizes to Sami Zayn. And Sami's smiling and he says, listen, I understand what you're going through. You have a whole lot of pressure on you. Relax. Everything's all good and fine. And Roman will start hitting a smile on his face and say, you know what? You know what? You're right. Everything is going to be fine because you're going to handle the problem. And he will have Paul Heyman tell Sami that um, next week, on SmackDown, it will be Sami Zayn going against Kevin Owens so Sami can take care of the Kevin Owens problem. Sami Zayn will look at Roman and he would just freeze for a second, but then he had to snap out and say, you know what, you're right, I'm going to handle it. I'm going to take care of the Kevin Owens problem. So next week, we get Sami Zayn versus Kevin Owens. Now, off to the main event tag team title match. Uh, the Usos would win the match by pinfall when Jimmy would have Sheamus in a roll-up and Jay would put his foot on the back of Jimmy for extra leverage for the win. Now, Drew McIntyre was taken out of this match by Solo Sokoa, like towards the end of the match when Solo would hit Drew with a small spike and then hit him with a spinning solo on the barricade. This match was the perfect way to end off SmackDown. You had a good tag team match with an established tag team like the Usos going against two guys that have a long like history of hating each other and also being friends with each other with Sheamus and Drew. And both teams brought the best out of each other in that match, but again... It's all about the bloodline. It's all about what they're going to continue doing into the future. So for the Usos to win and retain their tag team championships, I don't think nobody was surprised by this. Also, Roman Reigns and Sami Zayn were backstage watching the match as well. And you could just see uh, periodically they will flash backstage. You see Sami Zayn like having a bucket of popcorn. He tried to give Roman some. Roman declined it. 
He extends some off to Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman will first decline it, but then you see Paul just start digging to the bucket. You go back to the match, and then a flash right back to Paul Roman in the back. And now you see all three guys with a bucket of popcorn. And it was just so comical because once the match ended, uh, they flash back, and you see Sami Zayn just so excited about the Usos winning. You see him just start throwing popcorn just everywhere, and Roman's just looking at Sammy and like, what are you doing? And Paul's doing the same thing, but Sammy's just so happy about the Usos winning. So this tells you that Sammy is still full-fledged, like going straight ahead into this whole bloodline thing where Roman Reigns, he's might be playing Sami Zayn. More than likely he is. So again, SmackDown, nice tag team match, nice continue building up the drama with the bloodline stuff. And hopefully, uh, as we're on our way to the Royal Rumble, everything still will be exposed, and we more than likely probably will get Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens going against the Usos at WrestleMania, but I just think that might be in the works. But anyway, that's your wrestling highlights of the week for SmackDown. Now, off to AEW Rampage. Tag Team Master start the night off. John Moxley and Brian Danielson going against Top Flight. Brian will get the win for his team by submission when Brian will hit the Paseco knee on Darius Martin. Then grab him and start stomping his head in and then lock in the regal stretch for the win. This again was another great tag team match for Top Flight. Again, Top Flight is going to have a good signature year. Well, good year in 2023 because the way that AEW is building up for Top Flight just to have a great 2023. Last week they went against uh, Claudio and John Moxley. This week they went against John Moxley and Brian Danielson. All three guys of the Blackpool Combat Club are great excellent professional wrestlers so for top flight to be given that opportunity that tells you that tony khan is putting some stock behind top flight and we should expect to see more top flight in 2023 now after this we have Britt baker and jamie Hayter with rebel in their corner going against the renegade twins robin renegade and charlotte renegade Britt baker will get the win for her team when Britt and jamie Hayter will hit a double forearm on charlotte Renegade, and then Jamie will hit a sliding clothesline on her, and then Britt will finish it off with a curb stomp for the win. After this, we have Preston Vance with Jose, the assistant in his corner, going against Sunico, which is a local guy. Preston Vance would win the match by pinfall when he would hit a spinning clothesline on Sunico for the win. Now, after the match, Preston Vance will go over to Sunico, grab his mask, and start tearing it off of his face. And the reason why Preston Vance is doing this is because he's showing disrespect to mass wrestlers. He used to be a mass wrestler himself whenever he had to don the mask when he was in Dark Order. So more than likely, he's probably going to be wrestling a whole lot more uh, Lucha Libre guys or people with masks. And he's probably going to be tearing their mask off next as well. Until somebody probably gets at him and probably wants to shave him bald. The Mexican uh, wrestling style. Because usually in Mexico, you only get two ways in this. Either one, if you have a mask, we either get a mask versus mask match, or in another instance, is mask versus hair. So somebody probably might do that. Probably might an evil Uno might do that with a Preston Vance. Well, only time will tell with that. Then the main event of Rampage for the TNT Championship, Darby Allen, the champion, going against the challenger, Mike Bennett, who had Maria and Matt Taven in his corner. Darby Allen would win the match by pinfall when he would hit the coffin drop on Mike Bennett for the win. Solid match for Darby and Mike Bennett here. Again, Darby Allen, he's on his run of having an open challenge uh, situation the same way that he did when he won the TNT Championship in 2020. So I expect him to probably continue this until he probably 
gets to a big challenge. Mike Bennett is a nice size challenge, but I don't think anybody expected Mike Bennett to truly win the title off of Darby Allen. So again, solid match, but I'm just waiting to see who's Darby's next opponent for the TNT Championship. And that's your AEW Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now off the AEW Battle of the Belts 5, a couple things to note. Next week on Rampage, it'll be a tag team street fight with the team of Willow Nightingale and Ruby Soho going against the team of Ty Mello and Anna Jay. Also, Eddie Kingston and Ortiz will be going against the Kings of the Black Throne, which is Malachi Black and Brody King. Now, off to the match that happened at Battle of the Belts 5, we will have a tag team championship match. The claims with Billy Guns in their corner going against Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal, who has Sanjay Jutt and Sanjay Singh in their corner, and this was a no-holds-barred match. The Acclaim would win the match by pinfall when multiple referees were down during this match. Sanjay would take one of the referees' uh, shirts and try to make the count as an official referee after Jay Lethal hit Anthony Bowles with a lethal injection. Aubrey Edwards would come down to the ring, pull Sanjay Dutt out of the ring because he is not a referee. Aubrey and Sanjay would slide into the ring and now they would get face to face. Aubrey will push Sanjay down, and then you see Anthony Bowens grab Jay Lethal, hit him with the arrival, which is a spin-out uh, side slam, and then Max Caster will finish it off with a mic drop, which is an elbow drop for the win. So this might put the end of the acclaim in Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett's whole little situation. I hope it does, and this will allow the acclaim to go off to someone else probably like the guns maybe next because i don't know if ftr is going to be back next week probably they will because i don't see ftr just basically uh letting that whole memorial crap like slide away from them so i see probably ftr coming back next week but if they don't we could probably start back with the guns going against the acclaim and have that rivalry like officially begin and run back up against as they kind of did it in the middle of 2022 and then that led to the uh, crowd participation and support, like really big up support of the acclaim. Now it's time for them to return the favor to the guns, at least in my personal opinion. I think that's what could happen with this rivalry if they decide to go that way. But that's just my idea of what could happen next week. Um, after this, we have the TBS championship match. Champion Jay Cargill with Layla Gray in her corner, winning his challenger Sky Blue. Jade would win the match by pinfall, making her 48-0. and 0. When she caught Sky Blue coming off the top turnbuckle, and then she would transition it into Jaded for the win. Now, Red Velvet would come out in the middle of the match, and when Layla Gray tried to interfere in the match, uh, Red Velvet would attack Layla Gray. After the match, Jade would look at Red Velvet as Velvet would stand on the entrance stage, and Jade would just stick the bird up at Velvet. So now we're moving into Jade going against Red Velvet. They're revisiting their rivalry now. So again, we're revisiting old rivalries here as it seems again. So I wouldn't be surprised if they pull the trigger on Red Velvet doing it. But again, I think it should be one of the baddies to take the belt off of uh, Jay Cargill. At least that will put it full circle, at least for Red Velvet and Jade. If they do that or if they want to pull the trigger on Layla Grade to beat Jade. That's just my personal opinion yet again on my idea of what they should do with the TBS Championship and Jade Cargill. But again... Jay Cargill wins, and she's still undefeated in AEW and still the TBS champion. Now off to the main event, the All-Atlantic Championship match with Orange Cassidy with Dan Housen in his corner, going against the challenger Kip Sabian, who had Penelope Ford in his corner. 
Orange Cassidy would win the match by pinfall when Orange Cassidy would hit Kip Sabian with two orange punches, which is basically the Superman punch for the win. This match, Orange Cassidy came in super focused, and I mean, he was the most focused I've seen him in throughout his whole, like, AEW career so far. I mean, he's had matches with Will Ospreay. He took Will Ospreay uh, jokingly in his match. He had matches with Chris Jericho. He took that with a joke. I believe he even had a match with Wardlow for the TNT Championship, and he even took that for a joke from time to time until he got serious. This match with Kip Sabian, Orange Cassidy was serious from bell to bell. So, Orange Cassidy, for the people that believe that he can never be serious throughout a whole match, I suggest him to go to this match with Kip Sabian and actually Orange Cassidy just be serious throughout the whole thing. Kip Sabian was the one that actually was being joking with Orange Cassidy. He was using Orange Cassidy's own tactics on him to try to make Orange slip up and potentially lose the championship. It almost happened at certain points in the match whenever Kip Sabian would like, take a beating, and then he would do, like, Orange Cassidy's own, like, pathetic, like, play kicks on Orange Cassidy to mess with him. Then you see Orange could constantly, like, attack Kip, and Kip would still just, like, play around with him until he just, like, hit Orange Cassidy with a headbutt, and then he just threw out a melee of moves on Orange, and then he hits him with a cross-legged fisherman suplex, and then he almost gets the win there, but Orange Cassidy would kick out of that. Butcher and the Blade would come out, they would uh, try to attack Arch Cassidy, but the best friends, Trent and Chuck Taylor, would come out. They would take care of Butcher and Blade. Then it was down to, again, Orange and Kip Sabian. That would lead to the two Orange punches and Orange Cassidy winning the match. So, again, Orange Cassidy here, he took this match extremely serious. It was personal to him. So, I like seeing this version of Orange Cassidy. If we could see that version of Orange Cassidy more, that would be great. But, again, we probably won't until it's called for it again. But with that, that is your AEW Battle of the Belts 5 uh, Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, before I get you guys out of here, I just want to cover one thing. One thing that I find extremely important that I believe that the whole wrestling world will find important. Um, Vince McMahon, he is back in WWE. Uh, WWE will confirm on Friday that former CEO and majority shareholder Vince McMahon will be reinstated to the company's board. The board's confirmation follows McMahon's own announcement on Thursday that he intended to reinstate himself as executive chairman and launch an effort to sell the company. He also said he would bring back former co-presidents Michelle Wilson and George Burroughs as board directors. Now, what does that mean? I have no idea at all, but Vince McMahon, he's back in the board. Uh, I don't know what that truly means for everybody. I just know one thing. Tony Khan will put out a tweet and he was being spicy to everybody. And he was say in the tweet, everyone at work is being so nice to me this past 24 hours. I wonder why. It might be belated holiday spirit. See you tonight on TNT for two hours of AEW on TV live. And he's basically just trying to promote his product at the end of it. But Tony Khan is throwing shade to his own wrestlers that have been disgruntled towards him for these past couple months because Triple H was basically the man over in WWE. He was the guy with creative, the control, the booking. Uh, just We just saw Triple H as the figurehead of WWE since the resignation of Vince stepping away from WWE in the summer. And everybody thought, okay, now that Triple H is over WWE, now we can see 
some guys go back to WWE or you see some guys from AEW want to jump over to WWE since they're not being used in AEW the way that they want to. But now with Vince being back in WWE, now it has the whole wrestling world just basically questioning, okay, what does that mean? Is Vince going to be back to being creative figure? Is he going to be back to writing storylines again? What does that truly mean? I said it point blank uh, whenever the announcement happened. I said it like whenever the announcement came about and I said, okay, Vince is going to be stepping away. If Vince is dead in the next two years, because I hearken it to the comparison of whenever people worked a job for so long, 50, 40 years, and they have so much control in it and they finally let go. They usually die within the first one or two years after they are done from that job because they don't know what else their life they want to do anymore. So I said, okay, if Vince is dead within the next two years, Vince was fully gone from that business. That means he really let go. He was all hands off. But if Vince is not dead in those two years after his resignation, that means he still has some control of the WWE and for him to be reinstated back into WWE, this is proved my point. Vince always has some control over WWE in certain capacities, in my personal beliefs. And for me, seeing Vince back in his position of power here on the board, it makes all the sense in the world. Vince, from everybody that knows Vince McMahon and from all the shoot interviews that former wrestlers talk about him and former uh, people that worked with him on storylines or people that worked with him in production, they will all say Vince McMahon is a control freak. He is so controlling. So this doesn't come as a surprise to me. It just came as a surprise to me that we didn't get one whole full year of Triple H literally in control of WWE. I wanted to see what the whole year, what a whole 365-year calendar with Triple H at the helm of it would look like and see what type of uh, situations he would get himself into well, within these couple months, we saw what he did. We saw him bring back former uh, wrestlers that got fired during the pandemic that should have still been with the company. For example, Killer Cross, uh, Scarlett, Bray Wyatt, Braun Strowman, Bronson Reed, uh, Candice and Johnny Gargano. They left on their own accord. Um, Top Dalla, Ashanti Dionis, B-Fab, and a plethora of other former talent that got released they're now back in wwe under triple h uh regime for that short period of time you saw triple h bring up uh the survivor series war games for survivor series and you saw how well that did now uh vince might cut that completely off and say nope i never wanted survivor series to have war games i never wanted war games to be on the main roster that has always been a thing for vince he didn't want that on the main roster but once he left tada it was on the main roster so Again, you saw some changes that were made, and the fans liked it, but now with Triple H now having to take a back seat, and Vince is now back here, we're going to see how this whole thing will shake and shift WWE. Well, people in AEW that kind of thought, okay, I could go back to WWE, or people that were in AEW as originals might say, you know what, I might want to see what WWE looks like under the Triple H era. Now with Vince back, I want to see how they're going to be treating Tony Khan. Are they still going to be mean tweets being tweeted out because they're uh, not liking their uh, presentation or position in AEW? Are they going to be more hush-hush now 
what's the deal? That's going to be a real interesting thing looking at this until somebody says Vince is back out or Vince has no control over creative. But as of right now, in every wrestler's mind, in every fan's mind, this right now means that Vince McMahon is going back to being creative and we're going to see Monday Night Raw basically being back in the hands of Vince McMahon again. SmackDown, I couldn't say much because when Roman Reigns has been doing this whole bloodline thing for the past months, even under Vince McMahon's watch on SmackDown, SmackDown has been cruising. It's been the highlight of WWE, straight up. But now with Triple H having the book and he was doing Monday Night Raw, Raw was starting to put on matches and matches and he got story there, but it was constantly matches. Not a lot of talking, just match and match. And fans actually enjoyed that instead of the whole promo-based Raw format where you get promo, promo, short match, promo, promo, short match, promo, promo, a decent long match, promo, promo. Now it's going to see, now we're going to see is Raw going to go back to that Vince McMahon format or we're going to stick with the Triple H format. It's just going to be a nice, interesting uh, situation to see where WWE falls at. So, again, to all the wrestlers, here's just my little advice. I don't know your business, I don't know what the deal is, but here's just my thing. Stay with AEW right now. And if you feel unsatisfied, guess what? You can leave and go to Impact. Again, Impact is a place where you can go out there. You can create yourself. You can uh, reinvigorate your love for professional wrestling again. And you can really just show out and show the rest of the world what you can do. As well as under Impact, you still have a partnership with New Japan. So if New Japan see what you're doing, you can go over to New Japan and do things over there and you can even go to AAA and any other independent wrestling company that you want to go to to again build up your credibility in the wrestling world so again WWE just doesn't have to be the place for you if you're in AEW you can go to Impact just want to throw that out there so again Vince McMahon being back in WWE it just adds a whole nother wrinkle into the wrestling world after we found out that Vince was supposedly gone a couple months ago but now he's back it's going to be a nice interesting couple months uh, to see how the whole wrestling landscape, especially WWE, deals with this. Now, with that being said, let me get you guys out of here. Uh, I want to thank Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbeam, Audible, all the other podcast uh, sites that have me on there. I appreciate them wholeheartedly. I also appreciate you guys, the downloaders, the listeners that download the episode every single week. They just hear me ramble off uh, wrestling to them. I do want to tell you guys, as always, I have a Sunday episode. It's all about news and current event topics. If you guys want to listen to that, you can listen to it tomorrow. It'll be dropping tomorrow, as always. But if not, you guys will find me again next Saturday for Wrestling Highlights of the Week. I hope you guys have a great Saturday. Please don't be a dick. Be courteous to people around you. Be courteous to uh, your loved ones and even people on the road. Because, again, we're only on this earth for a finite amount of time. And I want everybody to at least try to spread some kindness to uh, people that you might not know and just see what that might do to them that might brighten their day up as well and also for people that feel that they might want to uh, self-transition off this planet please call the national hotline in my description of the episode please do that because again if you are living in the U.S. I do want to put that out there too if you're living in the U.S. that's the national hotline uh, number for that because again I want everybody to live I want everybody to do well I want everybody to at least accomplish what they want to accomplish and just be able to say that you did it and don't allow nobody to take anything away from you don't allow your demons to take anything away from you don't allow uh circumstances to take anything away from you because again 
if you self transition off this planet you don't know who you're hurting in the process you don't know who is happy to see your face on a daily to day basis you don't know that because people don't like to say it people just like to keep it in themselves but again please call that number now with all that said i hope you guys have a great saturday i love you all i thank you this has been wrestling highlights of the week presented by my two cents podcast hosted by g2 he is i and i am him i love you all and kanye could you please take these people home i'm tired you tired uh-huh. jesus wept uh-huh.